This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This is part two of the besotted Pride of West London podcast live from the Globe Pub in Brentford, featuring Brentford's directors of football, Phil Giles and Rasmus Ankerson. You can check out part one now, which is up on prideofwest.london. On the podcast, we got an exclusive. We were talking to Rasmus about the potential signing of Nigerian international Frank Onyeka from FC Michelin. We also discussed the closing of the academy, Brentford's no dickheads policy, where the directors of football got it wrong and where they got it right. Plus Phil Giles' mum and his brother made a cameo appearance. There's loads of stuff on there, so please go and check it out. We also shot a video, which will be available very soon on Besotted 1992 on YouTube. Just want to let you know, Besotted spend a lot of time and energy producing content for Bees fans, and we've had some great feedback from you over the past few months on how much you've enjoyed what we've been putting out over lockdown. So thanks very much for your support. And if you want to go and buy us a beer, go to besotted.com forward slash beer. And, uh, well, you can buy us a beer. You can also grab hold of our Premier League t-shirts by going to besotted.com forward slash Premier League tees. That's T-E-E-S, by the way. However, I will say I do understand that our content isn't to everyone's taste, which is fine. And all I'll say is that if this is the case for you, please have some integrity and turn off now. But everybody else, please enjoy Phil Giles, Rasmus Ankerson from the pub, Live the Globe. It's going to be a good one. Thanks very much for listening. So, how is everybody today? Do you feel like you've gone up? I'm not too sure about that. This is the besotted Premier League. (laughs) (laughs) Podcast. I'm Billy Grant and I'm here with my man Dave Lane and as you know we like to do a bit of a social every now and again and we've been living in a box for the last what, 18 months 
absolutely sweating and fretting and the virtual joint and all these places that we keep doing our podcasts on, pretending we're in the pub, but you know very much we're sitting in our living rooms or in our bedrooms or wherever. But we had the opportunity to come here and go live in the globe. Outside the globe. <laughs> and it's very nice too. So listen, we thought today, not only we're going to have a live podcast, we're going to bring some very, very special guests to come with us today. And you can ask them as many questions as we like. We'll ask them questions. We'll have a bit of a laugh. It's all going to be very, very relaxed. So I'm sitting here in the glow with Phil Giles and Rasmus Ankerson. <laughs> Directors of football for Brentford FC. Rousing applause for them. Like I said, this is the first event for two years. And uh, it feels great to be back. It's a sort of different vibe than we normally do. We couldn't have our end-of-season show, but we'll have that back soon because, as you know, things are getting better. Just want to say just a few things, first of all, to support us. Really appreciate all the support that people have been giving us. If you want to support us again, it helps us to get speakers, equipment, computers, website hosting, all that lot. Just go to besotted.com forward slash beer and you can buy us a beer, <laughs> as they say. We'll have much more content next season because apparently we're in the Premier League. <laughs> Like I said, we'll have a social early next year. We weren't sure when to do it, but we think it's going to be better to do it early next season as well. And like I said to you, and we'll have much more stuff. But listen, we've got a lot of fun today. I know you've been waiting. Thanks very much, everybody, for coming down here. We've got a small invited audience, but they're very, very lively, just like you were for the Bournemouth game, just like you were at Wembley. And I can still hear... I think the Swansea fans are in the corner very quiet. <laughs> you know, but what's changed? But listen, what we're going to do, myself and Laney are going to do our usual thing. We're going to sit here and talk to our esteemed guests today. They'll talk to us. We'll ask some questions. They'll ask you questions. You could throw in questions as well. We've got questions from the floor. We're going to make it really relaxed and hope everyone is going to enjoy themselves today. So thanks very much for coming, everybody. As Billy said, it's absolutely brilliant to see everyone down here. The last time I was here, I wasn't very sober. Um, and fortunately, I went home about one in the morning and I woke up to see photographs of people still down here at five and six in the morning. Allegedly, to, allegedly. allegedly. I don't, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. They, I, it was photoshopped, photoshopped. The, the, the timestamp was photoshopped. But... What we've got here tonight are two people that are, have been central, pivotal to the club's rise up through the divisions um, and for us to be where we are. And, you know, I think we're all pinching ourselves when we see Brentford Premier League. It, I, 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 I used to think I would love to see it in my lifetime and I never quite believed that would happen. It's happened. These two people have made that dream come true. So tonight, ask them and let's find out how we're going to build on this. We're not, here, we're not here to make up the numbers. We are Brentford and we're here to stay. Okay, so and listen, we're going to take some questions from the floor to anybody out there because you've got questions as well. Hold on a second, I'm going to go to Liberal Tom. We couldn't get Liberal Lick in now, so we had to get second late Liberal. We got Liberal Tom instead. There's always got to be one in the room, that's it. So... Um, Yep. Hello there. Thanks, guys. Um, really, really interesting. You talked about six to 12 months for a player. So in a season like this, where we are now Premier League, how does that work? Because how do you transition between being a championship club looking for players looking to go up to a team that is now a premiership team and, and ready for it? 
Obviously, if you want to buy a player from Michelin, it's not six months, it's like 10 minutes. You can just do it, so. In your own market within two clubs. I'll tell you what, I'll answer that, I'll answer that one first, yeah. So, so, um, so we sat down two days before the uh, playoff final and said, we should probably have a meeting and decide, discuss what we're going to do if we get promoted. So we really hadn't like sat down with a lot of um, like kind of six, twelve months of planning of right what we can do in the Premier League if we ever get there. Better. But I'm not sure we need. I'm not sure we need to. Like a lot of what we'd be doing in terms of our targets, we're targeting players who we think can go and play in the Premier League anyway. So when we buy Ollie Watkins or Ivan Tony, we think he can go and play there anyway. So a lot of the players we had on our list anyway are achievable for us, hopefully. We'll see. It might get a bit more difficult. That's, that's, a, that's a learning experience we'll have about, you know, can we go and get these players as an expectation just suddenly off the scale? Um, and, uh, and, and, and not changing too much about that. So I don't think there's like um, a bit... A, well, we'll see. I mean, we don't know. We've never done this before, right? So we'll go and see if there's any impact of being in the Premier League on signing and not signing players. Sorry, Dick. So, so up until now, there's been very little cross-pollination between the two clubs, really, apart from a few loan deals. So, obviously, the scrutiny is that you can't go and ask Brentford for £120 million for a midfielder, for example, now. But what if that's the price? Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it down, mate. I'll get the price down. Don't worry. No, no. I mean that's that's uh, you know if if that were ever to happen that a player would move from Midland to to Brentford, it'll have to be on um, on market terms. So the question is, what is that? But, but I'm sure I'm sure we'll find a solution. But there are certain clubs that sell their own grounds themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other questions? Talking about kind of negotiation, um, when you've been kind of setting up and going in with different clubs, um, how much has the fact that we've maybe been under the radar and not had a reputation helped you when you've been setting out to negotiate? And then kind of following on from that, now that we are, you know, I, I think we have a reputation at least within football and the wider media of being an intelligent football club, has that changed people's perceptions of how they negotiate or... Do they even negotiate? Do they just haggle with you? And is it is it still a bit kind of in the dark ages? So how how has it developed over the years? And how have you kind of adapted the way that you do it to you know kind of get the best out of what you're going into for Brentford? I can tell you that based on my experiences in the last week, uh, it's got a, suddenly a lot more expensive for Brentford. <laughs> you know, so uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe 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 you know whenever whenever a Premier League comes knocking on the door, you know then you know. The price seems to go up, but uh, but uh, I think we will try and use our common sense and not not end up overpaying just because um, we've we've suddenly got a bit more money in the bank. Uh, but I think you know the over the years we kind of build a reputation for you know taking young players in, giving them the opportunity to to showcase themselves, and then selling them on with big profits. And obviously that's a big that's big part when you negotiate with. With, with with clubs about players because we typically typically there are kind of three three um, elements to a deal. There's the fixed transfer fee, then there's the contingency payments, which is when this player has played twenty or thirty games. There's an additional payment, and then there is a sell-on. So of the future profits you make, the club may get 
10% or 50% of that. And that's actually when you deal with Brentford, we build a reputation that that's worth quite a lot, like the 10 or 15%, because we sell the players typically with a big profit. Um, so, so I think that's, that's, that's an advantage. That's at least that's, that's the story we try to sell when we negotiate. And just a really, really quick follow-on. I mean, in terms of the level of detail you go to, I remember a while back we kind of got a couple of players from Twente and they weren't in a great place at the time. Are you guys kind of scanning P&Ls? Are you seeing what the people you're going into? Are you able to take advantage of, say, you know, a Derby or whoever that we know are clearly not in a great place or a Sheffield Wednesday? And is that something that you and your guys can do and extract best value from those clubs? Because we know that they have a, you know, a, a sort of need to move yeah. players on. No, really, uh, the transfer market is about having information, you know, and, and having good market information. And, and, and a lot of the deals is a fight for information. And, and that's definitely, you know, really valuable information. You try and understand, understand what goes on behind the scenes at the, the clubs where you're negotiating with and then see if you can, you, you, you can somehow use that. So I'll just add something to that. So... Um my experience is clubs don't, I don't think they do too much differently because it's Brentford or not Brentford. That's not my understanding. The one exception I'll uh, say is when we tried to sign Ivan from Peterborough last um, January and Rasmus led on that one and he had a bit of back and forth with Darren McAnthony who I don't know personally but seems like a good guy and some of the messaging back and forth was good. And, uh, and we made an offer and he came back and just went, I know what you're up to. You're going to basically take him for peanuts, tell him walk into a massive money and do the same with Ivan. And uh, Rasmus showed the message, and I said, "Well, you're going to have to basically reply and say, yeah, mate, that's that's our game's up on that one.' Frankly, you, see, you can't, you can't, we can't deny that." I'll tell you a story about that. Hey. So in uh, in January last year, we tried to sign Ivan, and we went. Lee Dykes, our head of recruitment, and I went to. It was on a really, really cold January uh, day. We went to uh, to watch Peterborough against Wickham, um, and you know, it was. I had a back problem and we sat on these seats and you know we i had a meeting before 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 the game with 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 dara and his free you know his free co-owners and um and was trying to get the price down but they he stuck to his 10 million valuation and uh so i've i went out of the meeting feeling oh this is this is going to be difficult and then um then uh, you know after after five minutes ivan scored Ten minutes later, he made an assist. Uh, then Wickham got a man sent off, so it was pretty depressing. Then at halftime, I went to the to, to the washrooms and um, I met one of the one of the co-owners there, and he said to me, "Hey, did you see that? That was that was that was that was another one million for the goal and another one million for the assist." And I said to Lee, "Let's get out of here, you know." And we left at halftime, and uh, we realized that that deal was had broken down and probably. We, I don't think we, we felt it would, it, would, it would come back to us again, but fortunately, it did. So, Darren McAnthony kept on calling him Champ. Hey, Champ. <laughs> and, uh, and Rasmus said, you guys, Matthew and me, are going to have to call him Champ, but it never, it never caught on to this, calling you Champ. To, uh, what, was it, wasn't, there, wasn't there a famous uh, tweet from McAnthony that said that you told him that their chances of promotion were only 40% and it really, really hacked him 10%. off? 10% or whatever, 7, 7%. Now, I offered him, um, he's, he said, he kept saying to me, you will definitely go up this season, you will definitely go up. And I said, okay, but um, I'll pay you 10 million if we promote them, and then nothing if we don't, if you're so sure about it. That should work out, the, you know, if you think we have an 80% chance of promoting, that, will, that deal is worth 8 million for you, why don't you do that? And, uh, but he, he, didn't, he didn't jump on that, unfortunately. <laughs>
Um, but yeah, he was good. The, stand, the standard reply, every time you send an offer to Peterborough, the standard reply you get, no matter what your offer is, is, hey, I, uh, I looked at your offer and I thought it was April Fool's Day. You know? <laughs> I had to look again. We, there's a standard reply, you know? So yeah, Bar- recent, more, more recent offers. No, Bar- Barry Fry. That was Barry Fry. But uh, they, were, they weren't lucky that year when they had Ivan not to go up. The whole thing got cut short and they ended about the playoffs on some points difference calculation. So uh, it was, uh, actually it was quite good to uh, see them go up on a serious note for once. And I'm going to say as well, because that, 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 I mean, that winter, we were looking at Ivan in that January window as well. But I remember as well, because you said, you know, Watkins is staying. You know, Ben Rama said everyone was staying in that window and you were also looking to get Ivan Tony in that same window and you know, he said the price was high and they wanted to I think they wanted to, you know, to, to pay back then loan it back to them so that they can get promoted, you know. So they said, Give us a ten mil, but you know, loan it back. So basically we potentially if we if we if we were gonna pay that ten million, we could have had them all. We could have had Watkins and Tony and Ben Rama in the same team. Now in principle, if we'd gone up with that team, we'd have been on fire. So, yeah, it's basically he didn't pay the 10 million, so it's, uh, it's his fault, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, 10 million is like double anything we'd ever paid before, so it, was, it wasn't, that was never going to be possible, but, uh, you know, you're worth it now, though. The Elod. Um, just quick, you asked us uh, which player surprised us the most. Which player surprised you the most? I would say Yannels, right? But uh, um, what do you think, Phil? Uh, I'll say Saeed Ben Rama. Not because I didn't think he was a good player, but just the level he got to was like incredible before we sold him, and the money we got for him, he sort of develops, you know, and the, and the sort of the almost was it wasn't that difficult to sign him in many ways, was it? It was. No, he, he was. Um, he was, he, was, um, he was saying, I want to come to Brentford, I want to come to Brentford, you know, Brentford is the only place I want to go. So I don't know if it was the best, best, the best negotiator in the world, uh, but, um, but yeah, he was really, really keen to come. And, um, and you know, I think, I think I remember like even the first, day, first week of training, I spoke to some of the players and they were just like, wow, what a, what a, what a, what a magician we, we've got in the building here. But he was just, his, his skill levels was just unreal. Um, so, I think that was. Um, I agree that that's probably that's probably up there. Yeah. You say about Peterborough having a standard response every time you ring them. You must have a standard response every time West Ham call you. <laughs> Offer rejected. No, it really is that simple. It's very, it's very, very simple. It doesn't matter what the first offer is. No. Anyone could do our job, frankly. It's simple. Talk about offer rejected. What was it like? Was it, I mean, it was August, but really it was Christmas when uh, Birmingham City picked up the phone and Harry Redknapp and co. <laughs> called you, you, were, you must have been sitting there slapping the table, just laughing, like, you know, because I know that you actually wanted to, get, you, wanted to you needed to offload players so you could bring other players in. And, and I mean, you. That made you look like the Don, but really you didn't do anything, did you? You just kept picking up the phone and selling more players. They, they were negotiating through an agent who uh, came on and said, right, we want to do, I think it was the first one, Harley. And then, uh, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, he sent us a very nice message, myself, Matthew, about oh, during the playoffs, good luck, well done, and all the rest of it. So 
He's an, he, I, know, I know everyone has a sort of a different uh, you know, perception, but he's, he's a nice guy, so I'm going to stick up for him on this one. Okay. Um, uh, sorry, where was I? Um, yeah, so they were negotiating through an agent, and uh, they d we got the Harley one done, and then the question was, who else have you got? <laughs> that was more or less... Uh, we've got, we got hot air. <laughs> How much? I'll give you six million. Right, okay, done. <laughs> It was, it really, that was pretty much how it went, and they did three straight off the bat. They were just looking for players, right? And we had some, so. Well, yeah. Of course, on the hop there, actually. Because we've, uh, we've jumped, jumped forward. Any more questions for the floor? Any more questions can for I, the floor? Can I just quickly ask? Yes, of course, Ken. Just quickly, what, one player that um, you, you had on your radar, but you ruled out and you didn't go for him, that you now regret? There, there is a lot, I would say. But. Oh. Oh. Okay, no, so. We, we have to, we'll queue up, up in, in a minute. You, uh, vote. Who do you think of this? No, no, no. You have, to, you have to give your answer first. Then we'll Who's that, Phil? Oh. We, we deal with a lot of players. <laughs> we, Andres, you probably have a better idea than who we're linked with who we don't guess. I I'm, mind, I'll come back to it, okay? I'll give it some thought. Yeah, I don't. I'll say um, Carl and Grant, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's a good, that's a good one. So Carl and Grant, uh, we want to sign in January, and he's a good example of knowing a club, uh, knowing the situation in the club, and they had no one who wanted to sell the club, and uh, he had six months to go on his contract, and, and, and trying to perhaps be a bit too clever. Me, me in particular trying to be a bit too clever. Oh, well, he can only be about 800 grand, six months to go. Surely they need to sell him. The owner will want to sell him. He's trying to sell the club. And of course, Huddersfield came along in a Premier League club and went right 1.5 million, boom, done, gone. Uh, and in hindsight, you look back and say, well, would we have paid 1.5 million? Well, yeah, obviously we would have done. We were trying to be a bit too clever. Maybe sometimes you just got to get it done. And then they sold them like 16 million two years later. So, yeah, that's that's a good one. Okay, I'm going to say, do you remember before we go this? Do you remember a conv <laughs> Do you remember we went coming back from Wolverhampton Wanderers first season down? Remember we were all on the train. Yeah, um, yeah, we had a little, we was all of a little chat on the way back from the train in Wolverhampton Wanderers, and then we went to the pub afterwards as well. But do you remember the conversation that you had with the Allard that he's getting a bit embarrassed now? Do you remember it at all? No, 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 no. Had a conversation, he said, Tell you something, I oh, know, look, I've got this two players. One of them was Ollie, was it Ollie what? No, no, okay, but not that one, but he said, No, but it's not right for us. It goes, There's another player, I watch Hampton and Richmond, and there's this player, okay, which you should maybe have a look at. You, you know who you talk about, didn't you? It rings a bell, but, but I don't remember the name of the player. Yeah, I'll do it. Well, it was Jamal Lowe, but, oh, but I, I'm not really sure. He, I always thought he was a year or two behind us. Yeah. Okay, similar note. You picked, you picked out Ethan Pinnock at Dulwich Hamlet five years before we signed him as well. Cost us an absolute fortune ignoring you, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. Now, you li listen to me every time. Now, I pick up the phone. Oh, okay, I've got Peter Smith. He plays for Derby. He'd be like, shut up. <laughs> no, it's true. But that's the whole thing about it. And I know it's difficult to, you know, to sort of say, you know, picking out players. But, I mean, that Jamal Lowe thing was interesting. Because, to be fair, the Allard, he, was, he kept going on about him the whole time. You know, and he was sort of saying, you know, he's the kind of player that might, you know, might work with Brentford and even with the B-team system and bring him through. And, again, I suppose for you, it was probably, what, too early days? Or, or you just thought he looked like a dodgy face? Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Believe it, he had street, yeah, too many beers? Yeah, and no, I think it was a really... You know, I I don't, I, remember, I don't remember the conversation in detail, but I, but but yeah, I mean, there, we there there is definitely so much, so many players out there that 
you know, also in the lower leagues, you know, it, you know, the league system in England is big, you know, the same thing in Germany. Um, you know, there, there is, we've seen, we've seen quite a lot of uh, conference players that, you know, rose through the system and like the Jamie Vardy's of this world and, and becoming top players. So, you know, with, with, um, with, with talent, I think it's, it's, it's as much about opportunity as it is about quality. And, and, and there is, players can get unlucky with their career and there's not much between. You just get the chance and have a coach that believe in you versus not, you know. So, so there is definitely a lot of uh, 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 talent, undervalued talent to pick up in, 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 in those leagues. And I think the example probably shows that. Yeah, it was a Brentford fan who picked out uh, Stuart Dallas, wasn't it? Before our time, I think. You'll know. To Matt, message it to Matt. Yeah. Still wants money, does he? Okay. Uh, you talk about op- opportunist, uh, opportunism. You know, there's there's players at, at Reading who, who have impressed all of us this season. There's players that have gone down with Sheffield Wednesday. There's there's players in the Championship that have, have, have really scared us at times this season. Uh, are, you, are you looking at those, or are you looking more abroad? Both. I think I think uh, when I look at our back at our signings, we've had some good players from abroad, Ben Rama and Mope and Norgard Jensen, but many of the, I think our hit rate in the lower leagues in England has been really high. There's not too many players we've taken from League 1, League 2 have just failed and we've had to, we've had to sell them on. Um, even players who haven't necessarily played for us, again, we've, we've made money on them, like a Drew Yearwood, so, who didn't really do it for us, but we, we made a profit. So, yeah, that, that's been successful, so we'll, we'll definitely keep, keep looking there. That's going to be our first priority, I think. One of the things that's fascinated me personally uh, over the last three or four weeks is this kind of adaptation, thinking in your head all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're championship team and now we're a premiership team. Well, it works well for me. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, you were, you've been prepping for this for a long time. You know, what, what's happened at Brentford is, is not a surprise to you. It's probably a relief to you. But how has the last few weeks been for you personally? How has your um, how has your job changed? Because as you said, you know you're, you're getting uh, a lot of phone calls and you're getting a lot of pats on the back, but it's a lot of pressure now. How, how are you going to cope with that? And how how is how is things going to change for you? So the playoffs are like honestly miserable, like the horrible experience. So when, when we scored the third goal against Bournemouth at home in the second leg, Matt was sat next to me and he turned me in and went, oh, no, always that effect. And uh, I said, why? He said, that's another week of absolute stress and misery. You just... and, it, and for him, it's like, it's absolutely like the, the most <laughs> To some extent, after we lost the previous year, like for me, players were devastated, coaching staff, we had to pick them all up a little bit. But for me and him, actually, it's a, there's a clarity there. We just go, right, well, we know where we are now. We, 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 let's crack on. We, we, you can't change it. We've just got to move forward. We've got a great chance next year. We've got four weeks. Let's crack on. Uh, so the playoffs, and for us as well, it is miserable. Um, but then there's obviously the relief, and then you allow yourself a day. Does it, is there more pressure now? I'm not sure there is, really. Um, the pressure, where, where's the pressure coming from? We put pressure on ourselves anyway to deliver. Matt certainly doesn't sit there going, yeah, I need you to do this. I need, he's a great boss, so there's no pressure there. Um, Maybe, maybe fans, but I suspect everyone's probably pretty happy. I don't think there's anyone saying, right, we need, we need to be top six now or you're in trouble, you lot. Um, we'll give it our best shot. So, so I don't think there is any more pressure. And like I said, actually, it's not like we suddenly flip to a, a Premier League script or try and do things differently. I think we try and do what we've always done, 
one level higher. We were proud about what we, what, what we've achieved, and um, and it was it was a bit surreal the first couple of days. It had, it didn't really sink in. You know, we we had a great party after the game, but you know, but but then I think we enjoyed it for a few days. But listen, this is our this is our peak season, regardless of championship or, or Premier League. But this is this is um, this is where we we need to work the hardest and prepare for success. For we we you know we tend to work. Six months ahead of Thomas, you know we always we all always in the future. Thomas needs to think about the next game, and we have to think about what's going to happen in six months, in twelve months, in two years' time, and and try and prepare for that. So we we work on different time horizons, um, but but I think is one of one of one of the important things now is we 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 always try and be rational about our decision making, and it's easy to be emotional about these things, and you know. You know, hand out big contracts to everyone who's 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 done amazing and got us here. And I think it's important we 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 like stay hungry and we we we, we try and recruit and and prepare for where we want to go, not where we were or where we are. And I think that's that's going to be a key. And it right now is a is a is an important time for for that. Um, actually, you mentioned Thomas. I don't think Thomas has been mentioned enough, actually, so far tonight. Um, he, Tom, Thomas Frank has, has been the head coach of the, the most successful Brentford team post-war. He's taken us to the, the top flight for the first time, the, the second time in our history. Um, the second time in our history. Uh, the Premier League, I think it's called. Uh, He's, he's had a lot of uh, he's had a lot of shit to deal with. He's had a lot of a lot of fans and a lot of people have questioned his ability to do that. Um, what's that been like inside? Uh, seeing some of the criticisms, some of the accusations. Is that is that how much has it hurt the team? How how much has it hurt individuals? Honestly, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it has. I, I, I've, I've certainly never had that conversation with individuals at the training ground or Thomas. I'm not sure. I'm not sure he pays much attention to it. I know, I'm not even sure he looks at social media. A lot of managers, I don't think, I don't think they do. Dean Smith certainly didn't. Um, so we've never had that conversation. I think again, I think that's one where we're in kind of, well, I'll say bubble in a COVID sense, but also in a football sense, where the training ground is working every day, not paying attention. I think, I think potentially fans perhaps see more of that than, than we do on the inside. Um, but yeah, you asked if Thomas was free, and he's, yeah, he would have. He would have come. I'm sure we could have dragged him along, but he is due. He's on holiday, right? So he's away at the minute. So, and players as well. So unfortunately, yeah, he stuck with us too. Unfortunately, but uh... any other questions? Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. We're going to go to the Dutchman, who's been waiting very patiently. I'm just enjoying listening. Thank you, and thank you both. Put it to you, to your mouth. The question is a simple one, really. How different do you think we are when when you see other clubs talking about? You know, we have got QPR kind of saying things at the moment. We want to be like Brentford. You know, we've got this model that we all think is different um, and it's not traditional, as you've said, and we've come in from a different angle and a different place. Are we, are we massively different? Can, what stops clubs copying us and how do we stay ahead and continue to be different, which we love? You know, this is, this is the best it's ever been for us. Um, you know, how, how do we stay different? Do we need to be different? Can people copy us? Well, I don't think there is. Uh, sometimes you you get when when you hear about Brentford, you get the sense that uh, there's like uh, robots running around at the training ground and algorithms and uh, you know. But I think it's um, it's 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 probably more simple than that. I think we football club is 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 a lot about dis- making good decisions. And and if you make 
a lot of small, good, rational decisions every day that adds up and ultimately you are moving in, in the right direction. You know, we don't know what goes on at other clubs, so it's difficult to, for us to, to say specifically, are we, are we different? I think one of, one of our strengths is that we are, we are very aligned in terms of from, 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 from Matthew to us, you know, down throughout the organization. We are very aligned in terms of what we want to achieve, how we want to do things. You know, we, we, we have a style of play, a game model, we make sure we have a head coach that believes in that and can execute that. We have recruitment that aligns with that, so we, we find the right players to execute that, play that kind of football. And it's sometimes as simple as that. And then I, I don't think we have much politics. There's a lot of politics in, in football and in football clubs in general. I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't have much politics. We, we focus, on, focus on the task at, at hand. We don't, Phil and I don't fight about, like, Who's got the most power? Or we we you know, or we or we have concerned about what Matthew thinks about us. We have good relationships there, and I think that means you can you can just focus on executing the task to you to the best of your ability. And and that sounds simple, but that's um, that's uh, that that makes a big difference, I think. Yeah, and I don't think we have a monopoly on running a good football club. There's lots and lots of examples at different levels. You can say Liverpool and Man City. Oh yeah, they've got loads of money; they can do it. But actually. Over a long period of time, they've made good decisions at a different level to us. Leicester have, over a longer period, again, uh, Norwich, a well-run. There's lots and lots of examples of clubs who can do things in a, in a certain way and have been very successful. So I think the key for us, we've talked about it quite a bit, is you know now we're, now we're one level higher. Uh, we need to make sure that we keep our feet on the ground and just stay humble about that and not start thinking, yeah, we cracked it or we do it brilliantly or we're doing better than anyone else or we're going to start preaching the Premier League how they should be doing it, you know, and making profits and selling players for, for big money because yeah, as soon as you do that, you'll fall flat on your face and everyone will laugh at you. So, I'm going to ask a question and, and I'm not saying, this is not in a disrespectful way, but I'll, I'm saying it because obviously you had a plan for last season and it didn't quite go to plan. You know, we had a great team. You invested some more money. Pontus, you know, we managed to keep uh, Ben Rama in the, in the team when he wanted to go elsewhere. You know, Ollie Watkins, you managed to convince him to stay because the, the vision was we are going to go up. What went wrong? So I, I, think, um, I think it's all that plays to another one of our kind of fundamental principles, which is there's just a lot of randomness in football. You know, we can probably pick a lot of decisions that we made or... You know, in-game decisions, selections. Thomas, you know, sure looks at his selections, some subs, players we signed, players we didn't sign, all the rest of it. But actually, a lot of it comes down to: Did you get the rub of the green? Did the players stay fit? Uh, you know, uh, such fine margins. I mean, we were so close anyway, season before last year going up. So, I, I think you can kind of overanalyze it a little bit and and sort of try and pick out lots and lots of things you want to change. But actually, you think, well, look. We know where our underlying level is. I think we're pretty strong at sort of understanding where that is. We know, um, we, we, we understand that there's a lot of random things can, can happen that are out of our control. Let's not overreact to them and let's just keep going. And eventually, this season, next season, season after, we hope we'll get there. That, that's more or less it. There's, there's no, no more secret than that, I don't think. 
stats. So the question is, because, I mean, you do use your stats a lot when it comes to this stuff here. You know, you've got your world league table where you match yourself against all other teams. And, you know, so basically you might have a German team and, we're, you know, we might be a couple of places below them, which means that you sort of say roughly we're kind of the same level to them. I'm just wondering then, this season compared to last season then, because, you know, we, new team, new players... Some of us weren't quite sure whether or not we're going to match it because we, we lost the flair players that we had. But on your system that you've got, that scaling system, were we actually a better side in the end than last season or not quite as good, but we just did better? I think we, if you look at some of the numbers we look at, we are pretty much the same level as we were last season. So relatively, relative to our competitors in the, in, in, in the championship. But, but as Phil said, there's a lot of, there's a lot of randomness that goes into this, and, and, and like the media, maybe you to some extent, you know, you live off the narratives. You know, you want to you want to build a narrative about why 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 did we go up? Why did we not go up? And and but sometimes there is, you know, it's it can be dangerous to create. The, you have to be sure about the you know, having the right narrative if you want to make big decisions based on it. And sometimes it 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 can just be random, and that can be really frust frustrating. That there there is no clear narrative for why you know we 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 did well we improved the team but eventually you know small decisions didn't go our way and then that was maybe maybe the reason. <laughs> anyone, anyone else on the floor? Anne. Hello. Hi. Um, I, firstly, I want to thank you both for coming in this evening because I think it's been really. <laughs> It's been a real insight, and I think that what you have both talked about is kind of, you know, kind of just kind of real good common sense, which lacks in football over the years. And I think the fact that you both haven't come necessarily from a directly from a, a, a massive football background, been through every level, um, you know. I think it's helped. I think that's great. And I think, you know, other clubs can't, can't compare. You know, other clubs may be looking at us thinking, actually, yeah, we want to achieve what they're achieving. But I think you're both individuals who collectively um, have achieved massive success because you're individuals and you're not like other people. So I don't think they can achieve what you've achieved. I think it's, 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 it's very unique. Um, and I think that it's personable. It's not like, um, you know, the big monopolies of your man cities and other clubs like that. I think you, you kind of really looked at the insight into each, each area. I think it's very interesting listening to what you talked about. I've been lucky enough, not in the jobs that you've done, to work for Re Brentford and to work for Reading. And, it's, it's ref and you do see a different side of things from a, the, the supporter head and working for a football club. And I think what you've, what you've shown this evening is that it's, you know, you're just doing stuff differently that other people haven't thought about because it's ingrained in them in a different way because they've gone through this whole... Um, you know, how football should be and we should have an academy and we should have this and we must have that and we must buy these players, we must go in and do that. You've gone, actually, we don't have to, we can do it a different way and this is how we're going to do it. And I think it's brilliant what you've achieved and I think it's great to hear it because it's given us an absolute insight this evening. Um, I think that, you know, I think Billy mentioned just now about what we could have done last season. I think if you're working six months ahead, you've done what you needed to do and given everyone what we needed at that point. So really, you know, we can sit and talk about Stoke and we talk about the Barnsley game I think those are the turning points, but you know that's that was last season. We're now Premier League, um, yay! Yay! so we don't have to worry about that. And I think it's key. I, I mean, I, you know, don't have to listen to me, but I think you shouldn't change anything you've done going into the Premiership because ultimately, what you've done is work now, 
Um, and I think you just should follow through with what you've done. And, you know, my only question to you would be, where do you think we need to strengthen the team at the moment? In what areas are you going to be focusing on? Any, any, anyone from Mitchelland would be uh, my choice. Now, so thank you for your kind words. Um, I didn't come from a football background, but don't forget he was a top, top player. So, uh, of, of course, a top, top player, um, but obviously not, you know, not from the traditional, you know, work to, you know, not, not from the traditional sense of it. I think that's what that's what gives you both the flair. So, what positions? Um, so, I, th I think. Obviously, we lost uh, Henrik, so we need to look at that position in particular. Do we? <laughs> but I think what plays into that a little bit is: are we going to go with a back three next year or a back four? So that's another thing we need to decide: or are we going to be flexible? So there's a, there's a few moving parts there. Um, we need to make sure that um, we, we have strength and depth in all areas. Um, yeah, it's, it's, hard, it's hard for me to give a specific position. Say we're definitely going to we'll buy a player in that position. Um, but, but I think we certainly don't need... I think one of the things that you can do maybe is change too much. I think we've got to understand that our team is good, back the team, add two or three top players, and then hopefully just raise the bar a little bit higher and keep, keep progressing. I think that's, that's the overall plan. Agree with that. Just, just in addition to that, then, where do you feel, or do you feel that, you know, that kind of February, no, the January transfer window, February, March time, do you feel that you could have done something to make a change to strengthen the team in consideration of the injuries we then had? In January, last January, okay. Yeah, we looked at it. I mean, we had the deal terms pretty much lined up with a, with a, with a winger we wanted to bring in. But um, eventually we decided there was not enough value in the deal. Often that's the case in January. Uh, so we, you, have to, you have to kind of weigh the price and the costs financially against what improvement you expect that player to make. You know, how much is, a, is that player actually going to increase the probability of, of promotion? And it tends to be a lot less than people think. Eh? So if it's... One percent or two percent, you know, what what's what's worth paying for that, you know? Um, so, I mean, it was a difficult January was a difficult window, not only for us but for 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 a lot of clubs because we we lost a lot of see, revenue because we played um, with empty stadiums and so it w it was a balance between the financial side of things and how much we could actually um, increase the probability for for for, for of, of promotion. So. At the end, we decided to do um, to do very little except bringing bringing in Winston. Actually, what we should say is um, the fans played a big part of the season in the finances because most of them left their season ticket money in the club. So we didn't, you know, that helped us get through, and it meant that we didn't have to raise cash for cash flow reasons. So, so it's a you know big team effort. I think I think I'm going to know the answer to this one, which is you know it, it seems to be it's a case of evolution rather than revolution, but. The, I sat into I sat I went to a, an Arsenal supporters group meeting about 18 months ago. Brian Talbot was there and he was part of the kind of DOF setup and and it, it, it's he he was part of the the setup that went and spent like 100 million pounds on players. We we obviously we're not going to we're not going to see that this summer, but do you 
surely there has to be a escalation in in the, in the quality areas this this year. We we're up against the strongest tests we're ever going to see. You know, Man City home and away, Man United home and away, Arsenal, Chelsea. You can go through it, Leicester and Le- sorry and Leicester and Newcastle. Mm, well, there's six points there. I'm thinking personally, but. But, but, you know, so this is what you're competing with now. So, you know, we, at stages last season, we were, we were, we were struggling a bit. Um, overall, we were fully deserved promotion candidates. Um, you know, we need to step it up. Uh, which areas do you need to get more strength and depth? Yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's pretty hard for me to say this specific position or that specific position. I think... We need, we definitely need more strength and depth, as you say, but not in a way if we bring in a player who would be 19th choice in the squad. I think we need to add, you know, if we're going to spend some money, um, focus it on like spending that money in, in a couple of key places, not spreading it out thinly and bringing in five or six more average players, let's say, who can just sit on the bench. I think that's pointless. Uh, we got about the players who've done a good job, that's what we, we know we've done before. Um, it's we're not going to spend 100 million you know with 150 million gets bandied around but actually you know we spent the last 10 days going through the the figures and it's quite expensive getting promoted because you know players salaries go up and then they've got bonus scheme and then uh, and then we've got to pay bonuses to clubs like Peterborough who we've you know we owe money to them and then we suddenly think right we need to upgrade our training ground it's a time to do that so that's five million quid in there so what's left in in year one in particular there's a bit of money you need to go in the stadium What's left in year one isn't necessarily the 150 million that gets bandied around. So, um, so anyway, I'm putting that message out for all clubs listening who uh, we're trying to buy players from. <laughs> there isn't necessarily the money they think that we've got. So maybe it'll take a lot longer this summer for them to realise that. Possibly. I think Restall. Hello. Um, you both seem very calm and analytical about stuff, um, and. We were all at Wembley, and uh, we got promoted to the Premier League. Um, during that game, um, I couldn't watch really until the 90th minute with, with any confidence that we would win the game. I've watched it back since, and it was a very simple game of football. We won it very easily. Um, at what point in that game did you start thinking, we've done this? 95th minute. <laughs> Well, seriously, uh, you know, you, you know, we are human beings too. You know, even even though you're up two nil, um, eleven versus ten, three minutes into the injury time, you're still paranoid, aren't you? You know, so uh, it was, uh, it was, it was not over before it was over. But um, you know, it, I think what one one of the stranger things was that when we were up two nil at halftime, I mean, kind of felt like we had a lot. Now, now, now we were there. Basically, you know, we, we just had to we, we, we had we had something to lose even. Um, um, so now it was uh, it was uh, it was an emotional experience for us, I think, as well. And uh, be, because we you know we couldn't we couldn't affect the decision making during, during the game. So yeah, we, we we maybe we looked rational and calm, but uh, that was not that was not necessarily the case. Yeah, we all remember QPR away a few years ago, don't we? So we all had our fingers burned on that, but yeah, like late on. But yeah, I mean, I kept on telling myself towards the end of the game, 
with them with 10 men, I said, look, if they score, and then they have to score again, and even then, in this heat, in extra time, I think we can step it up. I thought we stepped off a little bit, actually, from about half an hour onwards. We sort of dropped off, and we didn't keep possession as well as we could have done and all the rest of it, but no need to overanalyze the game now, but I always felt that we could have perhaps, you know, raised the tempo again had we needed to go in an extra time. So, you know, it would have been a big ask to have lost the game from that point. I know Jimmy's got a question here, but he'll probably actually tell this story better than us. But one of our crew, Lou, he actually put £100 on Swansea to win at half-time with Brentford 2-0 down just just because... Two, sorry, 2-0 up. Just because, but it's your, your question. He done another 275th minute as well. <laughs> like, he thinks he bought the win. <laughs> oh, no, so do I, actually. Good luck. I've, I've got the mic, so I'm going to ask a quick question if I can. Um, a couple of years ago, in a post-match, Thomas said Brentford has a no dickheads policy in the tr- in the playing staff. So, as the head of recruitment, how do you police that? And has there been a case where it's been an excellent player who does the business on the pitch, who is a bit of a dickhead? Not, not that we've not that we've signed, we've walked away from. Do you want names? <laughs> Obviously. I met a guy in Kew Bridge on, way, on Saturday night after he got promoted, and he came up to me saying, I bet a grand on us to lose, and, uh, and was delighted about it. He said, I can't afford a grand, but I'm delighted anyway. <laughs> and I thought, you're mental, mate. I was like, <laughs> what, are you th- what were you doing? <laughs> We've had a few characters in the training ground, you know. Um, I wouldn't say dickheads, but people who have been a bit harder to manage. But ultimately have been good players and and, and, and and it's not it's not so black and white what you mean by that term so there's actually some some people who are real you know can be a bit nasty but actually you know we really get on with them very well off the pitch as well it's a it's a very gray area and you don't want own, only angels really i mean uh I, ivan's not a, not an angel on the pitch for example he's a he's a very very competitive animal you don't want it to be but he's a lovely guy off it so i think that i think there's probably a bit too much made of that statement by thomas i think it's an, e- it's an easy thing to say, and I think basically it's a, it's a catch-all phrase saying, look, we just want a great environment where the players work as a team together, and there's no them and us in the, in the, in the camp, and, and we've got that, and that's been good. But you do want a few people who've got a bit of nastiness about them as well, in some sense. Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes, sometimes coaches c- complain about, you know, behaviours of certain players, or maybe not that quite, quite the team players they like them to be. But I often say to them that, well, if, if they're difficult for you to manage, they're probably difficult for the opposition to manage too. And, and this is the kind of the balance to find, isn't it? Where, 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 where is this, this player becoming you know, a problem and where is it just like the competitive nature of, of, of people? I mean, I mean we, we're dealing with some of the most c- competitive athletes on the, on, on the planet. I mean, they, it's, it's not... They, they didn't. They didn't get here by just being by nice to everyone, right? So um, I think this is. The, 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 there has to be a bit of in an elite sport environment. There has to be a little bit of of friction. That's that's that that's. I would be more more concerned if there wasn't. Okay, I'm going to change the mood a little bit now. I've got to ask a question. This is something which is quite um quite close to me at the moment now, and I've got to ask a question. So in February, just after Valentine's Day, Brentford decided to stop taking the knee. Okay. Now, as far as I'm concerned, like I said to you, um, the the knee is a symbol. I don't even know to, to go in the history for you, but it's a symbol. Um, uh, black oppression is going around, and 
you know, the abuse that players have been getting, so many different reasons, people around the world decided to just, you know, to rally and get behind a cause. And, uh, and the knee was a symbol of that cause. And I have to admit, I was massively proud when our team decided to do that back in the last season. I thought it was a great symbol. We were one of the first teams to do it. And, uh, and it was absolutely fantastic. And the reason why is, again, me as a black football fan used to get loads of grief. Used to get kicked around the place by, by my own fans, Brentford fans, by opposition fans. You know, things that I used to go through for school. And you never basically, people wouldn't have your back. Because if they didn't have your back, if they had your back, they'd probably get beaten as well. So you find yourself on your own a lot. And then football players out there, again, 80s, 90s, they kind of put their head down because they, if they said anything or did anything, they get loads of grief as well. So it's better for them to put their head down. But what you've got also recently is that players have decided to actually, I've had enough of this, so they're starting to speak up against it. And then you've had the, the worldwide things that are happening, which is, and they, which is just, just driven black people and people who support out in the streets to say, actually, we've had enough of this, we're not having it anymore. And it comes under the banner. They call it Black Lives Matter. But it could be called Pink Fish Matter as well. It doesn't really matter. Irrelevant. So they've gone out there and they've done this. And it's fantastic. And the club be behind it. But then all of a sudden, they stopped doing it. There was a reason why they stopped doing it. And I felt, hold on a second, a little bit disappointed here. But what was more disappointing is that nothing was put in its place. So it left a void. And now what's happened is that the media have jumped on it as Brentford being the first team not to take the knee in the Premier League. And, and for me, that's a bit of a problem because all my mates are now coming to me and goes, what's this all about, Bill? And I feel slightly embarrassed. I'm not saying the club's... not going to go to the club because I know it's not wrong, but it might be just logistically something has been missing here a little bit. But this is something that we need to fix. And my daughter, who's sitting over there, she's been sitting over the corner for ages. And she, Bella, hello, Bella. She's the one that said to me, Daddy, why have Brentford stopped taking the knee? And I sort of fumbled through, oh, I had this, like, because there are, things aren't quite, you know, it doesn't really, you know, and it's, it's run out. And she just said, it's stupid. Surely it's better to do something than nothing. That's a 12-year-old girl that said that. So what I'm just coming back to you, and I know this is not a football thing, but it's quite an important thing, I think. This is, how did it start? Why did it, why did it start? Where did it come from? And what's the next phase? Because we need to be right in there. Okay, so um, so where did it start? So I think the whole thing started in a quite organic fashion. It wasn't orchestrated by... I mean, I'm only talking within the four walls of Brentford here. It wasn't orchestrated by myself or the board or anyone like that. It was the players took that decision. They wanted to um, you know, participate in that and, and, and show, that, um, show that it was an important course for them. They took that decision and we supported them. And then fast forward to... You said it was February, February time again, it was they that decided that they were not sure that, that that was now having any sort of impact. And the question mark is, and this is something for us to be very aware of, is at what point do players doing that give us the opportunity to go, show we've, we've, we're doing our bit? You know, is, is that enough for a football club to be doing it, or do we need to do more? So um, so we've, we've appointed uh, someone called Kevin Coleman who works uh, in, in the office, in the off-field staff, and he came from the FA, and he is massive in that area, and he's got a whole myriad of things that he wants to actually achieve. But not um, not going to tell the players what Brentford's going to do, but actually working with the players to say, how do you want to work with all of us to replace that uh, taking the knee? And 
and actually do some, some meaningful work rather than do something which perhaps some of you have felt now is, is papering over the cracks or we can just keep doing this forever and now the whole problem goes away, which we know it doesn't. We need to replace it with some meaningful gestures. So that work's ongoing at the minute. Um, obviously, it was a little bit tricky to get everyone bought into different things. I think it was a, few, it was, it was a tricky season to do some meaningful work, uh, partly because of the, the fixture programme partly because of, obviously, uh, COVID meant we can't get out and about. And I think he wants to get the players out and about and actually, you know, educating and making a difference long term. So I think you'll see more and more of that sort of unroll over the next period. Now, one of the things that's happening tomorrow is the Premier League having a, one their, their AGM. And I know that the taking the issue is, is on the agenda. And I know that will be asked that question of what, what's our intention. And I think it's really important that we sit with the players again at some point and say, how do you see it now? Is there any change in perspective? Do you still feel the same about it? You know, because ultimately this is something that they chose to start, to stop, and we're not imposing anything on that. And, 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 and I don't want to preempt that conversation and say that they're going to do this or they're not going to do this and we're going to be the only club that does doesn't do it or the only club that does it. What I do know is it won't be right for us to say we're not going to do it and, as you say, we're going to do nothing else. You know, we really need to fill that void because, see, if we're, if we're the only club not doing it, we'll come under some scrutiny to say, well, go on, then what, what are you doing it? But I'm pretty, what are you doing about it? But I'm pretty confident that with Kevin and, and others, we've got a good team there in place to start actually making an impact in, in this area. Um, and we've also set that challenge from the top down of the club to actually, you know, really, really address that issue. Um, one question I'd have for the, for the Premier League, if I was at the Premier League AGM, which I'm not, is for ta- you know, when I look at taking the knee, is what's the, what has to happen for that to stop? So it's, that, maybe that's a question for you. I've got a question for you. What, what do you think needs to happen for that now, which should be sort of seen to have ha- achieved something and actually delivered on, on it? Or is it going to continue forever and, and not make any strides? What, what are the strides? What's the, what's the exit plan from that? So I'm not quite sure what that is. And so that's a question for you. I'll put that back at you. And, and, and again, we can go on all, all night about this. I mean, it's one of my, my passions and, uh, and maybe this is a conversation we have for another time. I mean, obviously the exit plan is that we can go to football matches and no players are going to get racially abused. And I'm not going to worry about going to the England game like I went to last Sunday and have a guy behind me booing and I have to turn around to him and have a word with him, you know, very politely and say to him, you're making me feel very uncomfortable. OK, because I don't want that situation. And, you know, having fans that are doing, you know, particular things which, you know, will make me feel uncomfortable with my daughter in the house here as well. I want her to come to a game and feel, so that's what the end plan has to be and you know th- that that at the end of the day I, I think that for a start fans can do a lot more and we've had a lot of conversations here where basically it's interesting when I actually turned around to the fan and I said you're making me feel uncomfortable and I had lots of words with him and it was only at that moment that everyone around me actually said to him hey stop stop mate you just you've got to stop and they all everyone around him ripped him on and all of a sudden he realized that he wasn't you know in a majority he was actually in a minority of one, and maybe there was other booing and going elsewhere, and all the people around him started talking to him, and it's at that moment that everyone goes, get away from me, you're not with me, get away, We're not interested, and he had to leave and walk and just go away from the area, and, um, and, and, and another Asian fan actually came up to me and said, listen, you know, at the time, don't do this, don't, just put your head down, and I said to him, I'm not doing it anymore. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not being quiet anymore. I'm not, I'm not having this. I have to say something. So what's happened is that there's a few things here. The politics side of thing, which they, they've, they've tied this in with, 
is a load of nonsense. This is all about racism and this is all about a cause. And, and people, of, you know, me, my daughter, my friends will go out there and we'll say this is the cause. And the symbol for the cause is taking the knee, which was done by Martin Luther King in 1965 at Salem. If anyone do a little bit of history, go and read a book if you don't know about it. Salem, OK, um, is, is, there's a movie about it and it was about oppression and it's about voting rights in America. And the police were beating people. And then when they shut them down, Martin Luther King took the knee. 1965. What has that got to do with Marxism? It's got absolutely nothing. There's absolute nonsense excuses. People should actually turn around and actually look at the reasons why we have done it, why we have to go forward and do this, and why the players are doing it. And rather than just making up their excuses because they don't like that they're doing it, I think they should have a little bit more empathy um, for the reasons why they are and support it. Uh, and that's all I'm going to say for it now. I mean... I- I, I, I can never walk in Bill's shoes and, and you know, fair play to Bill for what he's, what he's done over the last few days in raising awareness for, for black supporters. Um, but what I will say is I was genuinely... It's the only time I've been embarrassed by my football club this season was when they didn't replace taking the knee with anything meaningful. Um, and the, the, you, you, cannot, you cannot allow, as directors of football, you cannot allow people like Nigel Farage to use how, our name, our, our great name, and all the, all the good that the football and the community and the, and, the, and, the, and the trust have done for the last 30 years for their, for their own twisted agenda. So please, if you, if you can do anything, just please just make sure we're not a laughing stock next year. Thank you. Like I said, I'm not trying to bring it down. I think we move it on and bring it up. But I think it's a, it's a subject that we needs, needs to be had. And we know that, listen, you're good guys. You're down here with us tonight. We're in the pub. You're, you're having some food, having some drink. You're talking to the fans. There's some very, really excellent people in the club that are trying to do things. Sometimes things, as you say, on the football pitch don't go quite right. Sometimes they go a little bit amiss off the pitch as well. The good thing is that you've got fans that will feed back to you and will say positively feed back to you to say, look, how can we make this work? And I think this is what we're saying as fans here. We want to be at the forefront of things, and you've also got to listen to us. At the end of the day, I want to see players in the club and everyone like, I've got my back. I thought, you know, this is a situation where you thought they've got your back, which is all good. When that void disappears, you think, oh, no, you're on your, your own again. And there's other people out there claiming the victory. Ah, oh, yeah, look, we got rid of that. Look at that. That's really brilliant. We can't be having that because we need to be moving forward all the time. And, of course, the knee doesn't mean anything in reality. But one of the things that it does do, it obviously makes people feel very uncomfortable. Because that's why that guy was almost ex- head was exploding when he was booing on Sunday. He's obviously feel very, very uncomfortable. And if it makes them feel uncomfortable, let's keep on doing it until they stop being racist. That's what I say. Anyway, tell you something. Let's now go on about next season. This next season. Trevor's Trevor's going to have a word. I hope it's going to be about next season and promotion in the Premier League. Right. Um, when we see players' names mentioned in the press, and we see, I don't know, a few this, this week, how long is your list? And is, are you looking at um, you know, 30 players or 300 players? What, 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 how long is that list you're working down to find uh, the gems that you do? That's my first question. My second question is, who is Jojo? <laughs> I, I, I'll answer the first question because I know Phil can answer the second question. He's heavily involved in that, you know, so... Uh, so the list is long, but uh, you know the, uh, that's that's the that's the difficult thing is you, how do you filter uh, a list of thousands of players down to eventually three or four you wanna you wanna sign, and um, and that's 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 the that's the job of the recruitment department basically. And you use um, you know models to do it. 
you have an idea about where what what are the kind of some of the target leads target leaks where where Brentford can find value. So you try and based on some simple principles, you try and narrow them your market in to where you think you will have value. And you know you're probably going to overlook telling other other markets, but you have to make some you have to make some choices about where where you look. Um, and then you know you you have an idea about what profile, what position, and then you filter on that basis. And then you know eventually you 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 go more and more into the watching, which is the time-consuming thing. It's watching a player. Scouting is very very time-consuming because watching a football game takes 90 minutes really if you want to watch a full game. And um, and 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 you know, but that that's what you need to do. But as late in the process as 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 possible. I'll just talk about this transfer window. Yeah. You know, when, when we're looking at positions to fill, or those, 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 when, when we're looking at those, I don't know, whatever it is, four or five players we want to bring in, or in, sorry, four or five positions we want to bring in, how many players do we have identified for each position? And uh, is, it, is, it, is it three? Is it ten? Yeah, so we had a recruitment meeting today and, and for a couple of hours, and I think we probably have uh, three, three or four in, 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 in each of the positions we're looking for. And then, you know, now, as I said before, one thing is to have the player on the radar, but can you get the deal done? You know, there may be other clubs in for them. Are, they, are you priced out? You know, are you, or is it actually possible? And, and that's always where you need to be pragmatic, I think. That's one of our lessons over the last six years, that sometimes, you know, rather than waiting for your first option, if you can go and get your sec- second option done now, that's, that's probably worth it. Um, so, so, I mean, and then there are some cases where none of those four on the list is possible, and then you have to go back to, to step one of the process and get more names in and start the process again. Right, let's find out who Jojo is. So we've gone from uh, probably the most important topic we could talk about to Jojo. <laughs> That's my next question. Like, I know, but I can't tell you because I'll, I'll Matthews' fun. Is he, is he a player? Is he a player? I can't say. I'm not I'm making any comments whatsoever on who Jojo is. Phil Phil can explain. He's, he's, he's responsible for it. I can't. So I think, yeah, Matthew posted on the GPG that um, Phil Giles had signed on a free JoJo and um, I was replacing one of his Twitter clues, I think. It's not what he said. What did he say then? Go on. He said I was heavily involved in the free transfer of JoJo. He messaged me and Rasmus that he was going to post it as well. <laughs> and I went, ha I'm going to post this. This will get them. And uh, I feel frankly embarrassed and ashamed that some people wasted. When you see what's behind, you will be, you 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 will know that you wasted a lot of time on uh, <laughs> something very. Uh... He thinks he's in a good position, Matthew. He just got promoted. He thinks he can do what he likes now. So uh, don't just don't don't tolerate it. I'd c- c- shut him down. Shut his account down. Don't let him post anymore. It's my advice. So right. So I'm going to ask a question. We're now in the Premier League. Yeah. The objective when Matthew took over, and I remember actually I went out for a drink one time, and uh, he said to me, "It's amazing." He goes to me, "When we get to the Premier League?" He goes, "It's not if we go to the Premier League; it's when." And that was in 2015, right? I said, so it was like that kind of tunnel vision, you know. It was now we've got there. Apparently, we've got there. We're probably a couple of years later on, late on schedule. Was it like you know the bus got diverted a little bit, kind of went through the back streets and came back around again? But, you know, we got there eventually. Um, 
the bus is a little bit kind of, you know, it's a little bit more worn, so he got sort of kind of gets a few new parts for it, you know. However, what is now your vision? Because the vision before was Premier League. What, where do we go from here? So, um, so I really want to avoid setting some sort of like arbitrary target of like we want to finish second or tenth or fifteenth or just survive. Sixth. Sixth. <laughs> you can have sixth then. Um, I think what what we what we want to do is keep doing what we've done. Uh, keep bringing players in who are young, hungry, can develop and, and thrive. Not se- not target selling them to Premier League clubs if we can't, you know, take them where they want to be. But think more. I'd like to think that. Uh, Champions League clubs, you know, if we've got, if we've got a squad where there's three or four players who Champions League clubs will be interested in, I think we've done a good job. Uh, I'd like to con- us to contribute something to the Premier League. Uh, I'd like us to, to do something which is... I'd like, I'd like fans of, you know, your, your average Premier League fan who sits and watches Sunday afternoon on Sky, not to turn Brentford off when we come on, but to turn us on. To, to say, that's, that's interesting, this is going to be good football, I'm going to enjoy watching them, there'll be plenty of goals. They might not win, you know, they might not stay up, they might, you know, anything could happen but we make a big contribution and everyone knows, knows who we are and put ourselves on the map. So at least if we come down and we go back, you know, potentially you can go back up again, everyone, you know, the whole profile of Brentford is raised as part of that process in this country and worldwide. So that, that for me would be a good starting point. Um, obviously, we'll have our own internal targets about what we want to achieve, you know, what we think we can achieve and, and we have to try and motivate and, and set targets internally for the stuff. But I don't really want to get in that external, uh, you know, oh. So we'll turn the microphones off and then we'll start talking, yeah? I'll tell you after, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So, okay, so, but without setting those targets, because from what I can gather, the, there's a big gulf, obviously, at the top of the Premier League. There's a lot of money. But at the bottom of the Premier League and the Championship, the, 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 you know, the top of the Championship, that, that, that gap's quite small from what I can gather, is it not? So, obviously, the target must be to get out of that gap. And do you think that Brentford, in principle is able to kind of sh- straddle that gap? Well, I'll answer it and you can answer I'd, I'd like to think we can. Um, what I don't want to... S- if, if we can stay in the division, which would be obviously a big success, if we can do it one year, two years, three years, I'd like, n- like us not to be a club who just sort of just exists, just sort of ticking along, just picking up money, you know, going around the Monopoly board and picking £200 up and passing go and just keep on going. I think l- let's try and... Let's try and like be, become known for. Let's let's try and become known for what we're already known for, but just a higher level, a wider audience, and contribute something uh, on the pitch and off it if we can. Yeah, I think if if I look back at the um, playoff final last year uh, where we lost, it's um, you know it's always difficult to articulate what you learn from a game like that. Uh, but when I when I when I look back, I felt it was a very risk averse game. There was no transitions in the game. It was like, oh, you attack, then, then we attack. It, 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 it was almost like both, both teams felt there's a 50-50 chance here. Let's just go and play without risk. Then we'll go and we'll, this 50-50 in the penalty shootout. What we learned this year and how we did it differently, and we talked a lot about this at, at the, uh, in, 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 the, in the week leading up to the, to the game against Swansea, is that we, we may lose the game, but we want to play our type of football. We want to attack. We want to take risks. We don't want to sit afterwards and felt we lost, but we didn't take enough risk. And I think, obviously, I think we played that way in the final, and it paid off for us. And I feel it's, it's, it's a little bit the same we need to do going into Premier League because 
there is maybe a tendency in the Premier League that people don't want to get relegated. It's quite a negative motivation, isn't it? Like we, 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 we it's, it's, and it makes you a bit risk averse. I think we got here because we've, we've taken risks. We tried to maybe sign players that, that other clubs didn't think were quite ready yet. And I think we, we need to, I, I like to think we may relegate, but I want to see us having taken the, taken the risk and, and try to be Brentford and to uh, be true to our model. I think that's, that's, a, that's more a process target for it. But I think if, you, if we do that, we have a, we have a re really good chance of, um, of establishing us there. It's like a dream come true for me. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to the people that are in charge of a football club saying, basically, we're gonna, if we do lose, we'll lose trying to win. And, and it sounds very much like Phil's put some sort of Kevin Keegan Newcastle <laughs> spin on our football club. You're going to love it. Yeah, they, finished, they went up and finished third the first season, so, um, so we'll do that, yeah? So, no, no, listen, it won't be like that, but I think we just, we have certain principles about how we play, and actually over the last couple of weeks when we sort of set out what we want to do next season, we've said we want to make sure we keep those principles, so um, the way we defend, the way we try and win the ball back, the way we attack, you know, let's try and do the same, but just at one higher level, not, not try and say, right, we're in the Premier League, we need, we need experience, we need, we need to defend this way, we need to try and do it like other teams, let's not try and copy anyone else, let's just do it our way, and if it's if it works, great. And if it's not good enough, we'll learn from it. And, you know, we'll have another crack next year after that. And, and there's two players that seem to be pivotal in that. You've got Brian Mbwemo and Josh De Silva. They, there's opportunities there for those two to have incredible seasons next year. Hope so. Hope so. I mean, Josh needs to get fit first. He was end of the season injured. Brian was, had his best football right at the end there. And I think playing with Ivan really suited him. Again, that comes back to the conversation about what are we going to do next year in terms of you know, do we have a, a go-to setup? Is it going to be three, three-five-two? Is it going to be a four-three-three? Um, so yeah, a few questions to answer there. But um, but you know, top young players—that's what I want us to be known for. You know, bringing players to. And I want—we found this more over the years that as we become known for it, that players want to come here. You know, and that's what that's what you want—the best young players to want to come to Brentford because they'll play, because they'll improve, and because we'll be successful as we have been this season, or they'll be successful in future. So, so listen, we've kept these two young men <laughs> for far too long this, so far this evening. All I want to say is, first of all, I want to say, look, Brentford FC, right? We're Brentford fans. We think they're a little bit left field, a little bit kooky. We, we like the way that we are, okay? And we exist, you know, this is our environment. We're in the pub here. We spent most of our times here because our football has been terrible for years. All of a sudden now, it's true. This, this is the honest truth. You know what I'm saying? The football is, we've got a phrase saying kick football out of football. You know what I'm saying? Because we, we, we used to love going to football, but the football was actually... It's, it's the football. Oh, no, we've got to go to the football match. You go to the football match, you lose 3-0. Oh, no. You know, so we used to go out, have a brilliant day, and then the football ruined it. Cook football out of football is what we always used to say. You've ruined that phrase now. <laughs> I'm saying. Now, keep football in football. We have to shed the rest of the day now and just go to the game, which is a complete and utter nightmare, you know. But what I'm going to say is that, you know, you've spent... You, Typical Brentford style you've come down here, you've sat in the corner, you've had drinks with us, you've ate with us, you've spoken to everybody, they've come up to you, you know, the, the, the humility of this club, you know, we're a Premier League club, aren't we? Yay! 
doesn't really matter. We've got players drinking in the bars, play, you know, they're fish with their hands. We've got players on the, on, the, on the bridge with the trophy running around. This is kind of what Brentford's all about, and we really want to make sure that we don't change that at all. I remember you said to me as well a couple of years ago, Phil, and we had a sort of chat, and you said to me, listen, we're moving to the new stadium, and you're the one that said it to us and said, I don't want it to change. I want to have that same atmosphere in the new stadium as we do in the old stadium because this is really important. Everything else is just whatever, you know, the hotel and the club shop. I'm not interested in any of that. All I want to do is to make sure that the fans come in and they are making that roaring sound because people don't like coming to Griffin Park. Players, players, managers, they don't like coming to Griffin Park. We want it to be exactly the same over there. And I know there's only 4,500 of us over there for that Pornworth game, but trust me, I mean, you tell me... uh, Tell me, how mad was that game? How, how rabid? Did you see people's faces, the eyes popping out and everything like that? Yeah. Like, you know, oh, that how, was, how did it make uh, you feel? That was one of, that, that was one of the best, uh, best Brentford days in my Brentford time for sure. You know, <laughs> Atmosphere-wise, it was, uh, it was unbelievable. It's, um, I, I even think we got some complaints afterwards about uh, people thinking there were more than 4,300 4, in there. But, uh, Not from Mark Walkman again, was it? <laughs> <laughs> I won't tell you who, who complained. <laughs> so, and, and, and that's what I'm saying. So what we do is we want to keep this exactly the same. So all I'm saying for me, you know, really Grant, I'm so pleased and happy and really grateful for you spending your time coming down here, talking to the fans. We've got the fans inside the pub here today. All the fans that are going to listen to this on the podcast. This is really fantastic. You know what I'm saying? Really appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? And... Uh, I can't say any more than that. Listen, you're, you're brilliant, guys. It's a brilliant club. And thank you very much for all the work that you've done and being so honest. See, see, you, see you in the Premier League. Yeah. This is the besotted Pride of West London Premier League podcast. Yeah. Phil Giles. Phil Giles. Yeah. Rasmus Ankerson. Yeah. I'm Billy Grant. It's David Lane. It's been a great evening. Thanks very much, everybody, for coming down. We'll do another one another time. Thank you. That was part two of the besotted Pride of West London podcast live from the Globe Pub in Brentford featuring Brentford's directors of football Phil Giles and Rasmus Ankerson. You can check out part one now up on prideofwest.london. So I want to say thank you for your support and if you want to go and buy us a beer go to besotted.com forward slash beer. You can also check out our range of besotted Premier League tees at besotted.com forward slash Premier League Tees, and that's T-E-E-S, by the way. Also, a video from this podcast will be up on Besotted 1992 YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe, because we're going to have loads and loads and loads of Brentford Premier League content in the close season, also in the forthcoming season. So you've got to definitely check that out. And all I can say, once again, thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, 
When it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.